Beer Shop of Maniacs. You are listening to another episode of Shop Talk Show, Hard Stop Edition. I'm Dave in the shed. Rupert with me is Chris in the office, glass office choir. Hey, Chris, how are you? <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm doing pretty good. Back's feeling a little better, but I thought I'd do one more show in the well, well sitting. The, 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 in the, the booth in is the standing in the room. You know who we got? This is a big one. Yuna from Google. What's up, Yuna? Hey, so excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. I think we have the same chair, Chris. My back hurts too. Maybe it's the chair. <laughs> Silver Aeron Club. I posted a picture of it the other day and somebody hashtagged it Silver Aeron Club. And I'm like, what? What? I wow. Guess I'm in another it, though. club. Love it. Yep. I don't mind it. It's cool. You know, my little thing, though, this thing, which nobody can, on the podcast and ski. Do you have that piece? It the pops lumbar? off all the time. No, yeah. I have a different one. It, I don't know if it pops off. Yeah. Mine's not bumpy like that. I need to get some glue or something because I require lumbar support. <clears throat> I know it's supposed to be a nice chair, but we sit all day. I love my Aeron, but I think I figured out how to sit bad in it. So I had to give it up because I it was that. like, I, I like figured out how to like, whatever, uh, this one. put a foot under my, my left foot under my right butt cheek or whatever. And then just like mess up my back and then. Stare I'm literally sitting like and, that right now. See? Yeah. And so it was just like, I figured out how to sit bad in it, and I think I wrecked myself. So careful there. Oh, no. I thought that getting this chair would help me sit better, but uh, did not did not work. Yeah, because it's it's a hammock. It's just, it's a fancy <laughs> hammock. <laughs> it will last for the That's rest true. of your life, though. So uh, It is. It will. It will last forever, so... Well, we've known each other for quite a while and 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 have similar, you know, love of the web. Where you you know, you know knows all kinds of stuff about CSS and now has a kind of a cool you've made CSS your job in a way. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty so cool. So let's talk yeah, about I, CSS, you know? Like why not? The the temptation is to talk about new stuff, but we don't have to. We could talk about new and old, but it's almost more fun to I don't know, because it's a podcast, I don't know, new, 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 sparkly, shiny. So we might as well cover some of that stuff. We got a chance to talk about some of it with Jen Simmons recently, but we can uh, there's been new stuff since then. CSS moves so quickly. Yeah. Um it's a it's a very exciting time to be a web developer. Because there's so much going on in CSS and UI land. It's not just CSS. It's also in components and attributes. And um, yeah, there's a, a lot that has actually changed in how the the platform works. There's been like new entry points in CSS, like cascade layers. There's been new ways to select things. Like some of the, these core capabilities are really changing. Um, but then there's also just additional capabilities and features that are pretty cool that have landed recently and a lot of things that are in the works and kind of getting finalized in spec land and prototype land. So happy to talk about right. it all. Well, you said cascade layers first, so let's do that one first. There's a thing in CSS that you'll know it when you see it because it's a new at thing, like the at symbol, right? Like we're used to writing at media. Uh, that's one of them. What's another popular one? At car set, I guess. Not very popular, but that's another one. It's an at <laughs> word. I would love and, uh, property to be supported in more places. That's a great one. Oh, oh that's another that is a one. great that's one. It's actually kind of required. It's a way. It's a way to bring typing to uh, to CSS, right? Yes. So you can so, set a variable and say this thing is a length or whatever it is. Yes, uh, and there's so much you could do with it. What's what's the support of that? Is it? Yeah. How, what is the support for at property uh, lately? At property. I think it's just Chromium support. still. 
Okay. Yeah, it could but be. It's such know. a good feature. I, I think I saw it pop up in Interop as an idea. Well, I, what I find it funny, what I find funny is that like CSS got types before JavaScript did, and I feel like CSS deserves some some credit on that, just for like typed properties, the the CSS OM and all that. But. Yeah. And there's so much you can do with it, like fallback values, not just syntax, also inheritance with property values, um, error checking just by using app property. It's so cool. I used to talk about our property all the time, but now I'm just waiting for more browser support. Yeah, yeah. It looks like you're right on the support as Chromium, which means Edge and Opera and stuff too. God, it's funny that Opera still is on all these charts. Didn't they just like absolutely 100% jump the shark? And that's, I don't know. Aren't they? They're just like a crypto <laughs> browser now or something. I can't. I can't remember what happened. But uh, <clears throat> sorry, sorry if I'm upsetting opera people. I don't. I don't mean to. You can like whatever you want. Uh, okay. So app property, pretty cool. You can type a thing. Otherwise, otherwise CSS won't know what type something is. I think it just thinks of everything as a string, essentially, or whatever. I'm sure you have more yeah. interesting talks on this than I can do really quickly. But to me, it, it's like a hundred percent tied to animation. It's like if you know it's a color then you can animate the color, but it doesn't know it's a color unless you tell it's a color, you know? Well, the main thing there is like with gradients, the browser renders them as images, right? So how does it know what the thing, the gradient is comprised of if there are no types within it? And so when you, that's why the example for the color app property, like syntax is, oh, look, you can animate gradients now, which you couldn't do before. Um, Because yeah, other than that, it thinks everything's a string. And even with things like custom properties now, you can write one and it's dynamic in the sense that it can be updated, but it's still only read as a string value. There's no semantic meaning in it. Um, And I think that this is actually really similar to this whole concept of more semantic CSS, like the attribute property that we have now, you can use, like you can write data attributes in your HTML that can be read in CSS, but only as strings. So realistically, you can only use that as content, like in a pseudo element. Uh, That's another one I really, really want on the browser. And I'm hearing more and more in the community that people want is just more semantic attribute, like the ability to send data color or uh, a data value or a data... um, Say like a grid name, so you could place items on the grid. So there's no way right now, just in HTML and CSS, if I said div data-color equals, and then I put some RGB value or a hex code or something like that in there, I could pull that out as a string, but there's absolutely no way I could actually like make the text whatever color that is or something. There's just 100% no way to do that, right? Right. Yeah, I think. So, and then and then so then is, is the vibe that I'd use ATTR per paren, that's the like attribute function. And then it, I could pull it but then comma pull it as a type. Is that how it's going to roll there's a out couple of if, different it, proposals. if it does? I saw one that was for value. Uh, you could wrap it in a value um function. Wrap it in val. I, I don't know okay. where this will land cuz I I think that it's something that the conversations are just restarting around because we've landed some big things in the past that people really wanted. So it's kind of like, well, what's next? That's that's yeah, very useful. Yeah, what's next? So, and okay, so, okay, let's be done with that property. We're totally off we topic. love it. Yay. <laughs> yeah, Cascade it's great. <laughs> I know, but Cascade Layers is interesting too because it's it's unlike unlike what we just talked about with that property, Cascade Layer somehow magically slipped out between all of our, on our coffee breaks or something. That's in all of the browsers. Mm-hmm. Whoa. It landed earlier this year in all modern browser engines. That's just crazy to me because it, it seems like something that's so 
I don't know, low level and like girthy mm-hmm. CS. Yeah, sure, we can get new little baby CSS things, but shifting the foundations of what CSS is is like <laughs> a little harder to do. Which that's maybe it's not, but that's what that's what layers feels like to me is that I can have this whole chunk of CSS that has vastly different meaning and power than another one does. Yeah, I, I think that you sort of hit the nail on the head with there's different levels of impact in some of these features. So some of them really change like the entire infrastructure of how we can write CSS. And layers is one of them where we've never had the ability to actually maintain um, cascade entry points before. The only way that you could you know fix specificity conflicts was through specificity features. But uh, layers are sort of I don't say a layer on top of that, a level on top of that where it's precedence <laughs> over their previous layer. <laughs> right. And um, it just enables so much Specificity control. Specificity be damned, right? That's right. what's so wild <laughs> to me is that you could have like just an element selector, like P, color red, and have that just because it's on a layer above another layer, just bulldoze whatever came before it. It's so like yeah. baller. <laughs> yeah. I feel like this is one of those features where it's super useful, but you can really get it wrong if you don't know why certain things are happening. Like you, you might just have this unexpected selector. If you think of it in the same way as specificity, where it's just like one uh, one file that's injected after the other, kind of like we do today, it doesn't work yeah. like that. And that would add confusion. But if you think of it truly as like layers of precedence, it really makes it a lot more clear what you want to always take control and always get that style to win. It's like a great yeah, power. Yeah, that winning great thing is so wild to me. I mean, it's not, I never like sat down with a classroom full of students and had to teach CSS. So I'm lacking that in my, but I feel like I do have like a bit of a teacher's mindset of blogging about CSS for so long. And so have you. That how many years and effort was put behind teaching what wins in CSS. I feel like that's like half of learning yeah. CSS is, is playing the what wins battle. <laughs> and now layers complicates that. That and the architecture. Yeah. Right. How do you, yeah. How do you structure things? Well, I remember when I was um, in school and taking like a web design class where we learned HTML and CSS. Uh, one thing that the students really struggled with was like how to figure out where you import things, how to like structure your files, like where you would add a new file, where you just have the same file. Like I think that that's mm. a big point of confusion as well on top of the specificity clashing. Um, yeah. So hopefully this allows a little bit more structured architecture, but definitely a new thing to learn as, as you like learn foundational CSS. It's always been one of the great ironies of the web is there's this like, don't tread on me or kind of like, uh, d- don't tell me what to do attitude. But then any any kind of technology that came along that to- absolutely told you what to do, people are like, oh, yeah, I like that. You know, th- I don't know. I think of something these days that's so popular, like, uh, I don't know, Vercel just had the, you know, the next comp thing that we've, we've talked about. Next is pretty opinionated. You like install yeah. that sucker. It tells you exactly where it wants your CSS to be. Uh, people t- tend to gravitate towards that, whether they whether they know it or not. Okay, Cascade Layers, you're also on the Dev Tools team, right? Or DevRel for Dev Tools, or some Dev Tools is part of your life somehow, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> we we sort of focus around 
making sure that people have the APIs they need to build great websites and also the tooling. So a lot of that is if there's a new feature landing, like container queries, do we have the tools to support it? Um, right now, one big thing we're thinking about is color spaces. So how do we expand the color picker to support new color spaces? And now we have all these new um, things like out of gamut. And what does that mean? How do we help people learn? So there's a lot of alignment in the UI general space and dev tools, but then also uh, working on like WebDriver BiDi and end-to-end testing. Like folks on my team are like looking into things that are not just UI related, but also across dev tools. Mm. Yeah, I saw... Uh, Safari does like P3 color spaces and it's, mm-hmm. it's, I, I was playing it with it the other day and it's, it's really interesting because you enter this realm, which not every browser, not every monitor, not every anything can see, you know, um, but they do this like little line, like, Hey, you're entering like P3 world here now. And that's cool. But it's just, I, I, I don't know. I, I was very like, um, uh, it's a hard problem just because now when I, does that even work? Not on my Mac laptop. I don't even know. Does, does my right? like, it is really external tricky. monitor even show that stuff? I don't know. So, but it kind of pulls it back if it doesn't, that, which is one of the niceties of it, isn't it? That it, these things are like, it's okay if, if the, if the color you're describing is outside of the, the I bounds. Hate to say gamut because I don't even know what gamut means exactly. That's like the bounds. Yeah. The bounds. Yeah. yeah it comes that's a good back word in. For it. Yeah, no, I think that you really touch on a good point. Uh, it's hard to figure out how to make these available to people. And you do need hardware that supports these color spaces to be able to really build with it and test it. And it's easier to downgrade than to upgrade. So it's it's a challenge. The, the only thing that bums me out about P3 is that you have to use the color function to use it, whereas all the other ones seem so much easier to use. Like, I'm a pretty big fan of the OK LCH. You know, LCH has, like the, I think, the cleanest mental model. Because if you got used to L... <laughs> what's the other one? Lightness. L- Chroma. Q. Q. Yeah, the, the, the one that's not the new one that we've had forever. Not RGB, HSL. but... Yes, HSL. thank you. My God, I was trying to think. Of, it starts with L. No, it doesn't. HSLs like had the best mental model of all time, right? So everybody likes HSL. We didn't all use it, but I think if you were like approaching it scientifically, you'd be like, yes, clearly that has the like most clear human being understanding of it. And then along comes LCH, which maintains that same mental model, but also has the uh, better gradients and way wider color gamut. So to me, it's like, oh, obviously LCH wins, except for like, oh, look in this one weird situation. Better gradients, better features. Absolutely. Oh, that's good. <laughs> All right. Chrome should hire you. Uh, the, but then OKLCH okay, okay, is just like a secretly better version of LCH because it fixes some like weird things that only color nerds can explain properly, but basically gradients are even better. It, it fixes the blues. the blues. Yeah, okay. That's like the main thing. <laughs> nice. Better blues. Okay, LCH. It seems to me it's going to be the winner just because of the better mental model, but we, we shall see, you know. And the reason P3 got popular is just because it was better supported earlier on. But like, okay, yeah. okay LCH can do anything that P3, Display P3 can do as far as I know. Well, the super hot pinks and yeah, all that. Adam Argyle is doing a ton of color work and creating a bunch of demos um, along with Leah Vru and Chris Lilly. So if you're interested in yeah. color spaces, check them out. Nice. Well, I brought up DevTools for another reason too, is, is to tie it back to Cascade Layers. If DevTools 
nails Cascade layers, which I assume they have already because it would be weird to ship without, that if you want to see, oh, what CSS is is winning, playing the mm-hmm. wh- what wins game that's so vital to teaching and learning CSS, the number one tool for that is DevTools. You know, you just right click and inspect element and see what, what's affecting it. If DevTools says, oh, that's pink because there's something on this layer is telling it it's that it's pink, it's kind of like problem solved, right? I didn't mean to paint this as this dire, like, oh, no, how are people going to learn CSS anymore? They're just going to use DevTools like they always have, right? Yeah, and that that's a feature that exists in DevTools that landed pretty close to the feature itself landing in the browser, if not at the same time. Uh, which is the goal. Like we want to make sure people have tools so they can actually adopt these things. So now if you open up DevTools on a page that uses layers, you'll see the layers and you can see the layer order. Crucial. Love it. Good job. <laughs> I hope all the browsers that support it have that. So uh, did somebody did just ask me the other day, like, oh, have you, have you used it yet? And I was like, I've used it to make a demo. But I certainly haven't like refactored a major app to use it yet. Not that I'm afraid to, because the support is pretty good. But it, it is like it feels a little I don't know if daunting's the right word, because it's probably not that. But like I don't I'm not sure I have a mental model ex- of how to like use it perfectly and what I would get for it. Like if I do this work, is the value to me seems like not like immediately clear. I feel like Greenfield, I would use it, would help. But yeah, anyway, that's just how I'm feeling about it. I don't mean to say it's good or bad or anything. No, no, I think that it's a, a good point because this feature, so the decision was made to have unlayered styles win in terms of precedence uh, from layered styles. So if you put things in a layer, they have less precedence. And that means that if you are doing something like a refactor of your CSS, or uh, you want to save your state with your old styles and start fresh, make sure the new styles win, it's a nice way to progressively enhance. Um, So one good thing you can do is to put it in like reset or base and have your other styles like start growing on top of that. So for refactors, it's a great tool. Um, But I hear you about the new mental models. Yeah. Interesting. It's like almost like because you're pulling specificity down by checking stuff in layers. And I know it's not specificity, but it's like strength or something. You're pulling precedence it down. Precedence is the that, word. But yeah, I struggle to say precedence over specificity too. Yeah. <laughs> Priscilla perceives five precedents. Uh, the precedence is lower. That it, It's almost like as you refactor, you're almost sure that it's going to be okay because if you mm-hmm. you yank a whole thing down in precedence and everything still works like you're you're good <laughs> you didn't screw it yeah. up it, but also i don't think you have to adopt every new feature it's like you know use yeah, yeah, what yeah. works for you yeah i can't wait to like read some retrospectives of like we use layers and this is what we got out of it kind of stuff i like it when the when the you know the real world hits in a way i love it for code pen demos yeah Right. That's like, I know what you mean. Like put the, put the, it's almost like a way to visually say this stuff doesn't matter to the demo. This stuff does matter to the demo without having to like use comments or something. And you can like hoist the cool stuff up top, which is just totally dumb, but you can just be like at layer base, cool stuff. And then say at layer, cool stuff first before the base stuff. Anyway, it's dumb, but I think the big worry about this is that, because 
unlayered styles are powerful, it means that any any third party anything that happens to like jack a little CSS onto your page and doesn't use a layer is even more powerful than it already was. Well, that's where you can put any third party CSS into a layer and you could import it directly into a layer. So when you're setting up your layers, you could like add import, I don't know, your third party CSS as a layer. You could. It, 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 if you're if you're importing third party CSS that way, but third party CSS I generally mean like a style tag that gets jacked in from a script or something which you actually oh, like wouldn't, a I don't I don't, I don't know script. that you would be able to control that. Um, I don't know. I just I don't want to be too theoretical about a problem that doesn't exist yet. Or what if, what if we make a rule where all third-party scripts have to put their stuff in a layer or else they go to jail. And then we yes. have a company, I don't know, I'm just going to pick one uh, that we will work for, Google, okay, like then enforces that <laughs> and starts putting companies in jail, you know? For, or it could be a CSP directive. All third-party, yeah. all injected scripts go into the. You know, I think that I saw like some conversation about this being added as an attribute or some way to do it in HTML like that. I don't remember where that conversation went, but this has been brought up before. So good on you. This episode of Shop Talk Show is brought to you in part by Site Search 360, which is easy to use on site search software. As a web developer or designer, you're building websites which respond to both shoppers and shop owners' needs. So, like, what do shoppers want? Good search. <laughs> what do shop owners want? They want good search too. They want it for themselves, but also on behalf of the shoppers on those websites. Have you ever felt frustrated at not finding what you want online? Worse, have you had to design an online store or site but can't find a smart, easy to use search solution to power it up? We've got what you're looking for. Uh, site Search 360 does. It's an affordable, Site search software with intelligent features like autocomplete, spelling correction, product filters, sorting, and more. It easily integrates with platforms such as WordPress, Lightspeed, or Shopify. You gotta have good search on a website. And being able to drop in good software to do it is clutch. Check out Site Search 360. All right, we did cascade layers. Very cool. I, I I would say that if I was building almost anything, like if I was going to, you know, if I still like ran CSS tricks that did by yearly redesign, I would layer it this year, probably. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll do it on my personal site or something. Mm, great. But I do think the value is probably the bigger the site, the better almost. Like if you're if you're the type of website that has a reset, but we you also use Bulma and you also write your own styles right. and there's web components involved too, I think you're going to benefit more from layers. That's just my guess. The more complex your site is, the more yeah, benefit I'd you agree. get. Okay, can I can I ask you about this one because I'm so excited about it? Shared element transitions. Have you played? Do you know what's what? Let's let's talk about it. What is it? I've explored it a little bit. I am not an expert on it. Um, I've definitely seen it evolve over the past year. It's changed. The specs changed a lot. Jake Archibald is really working on it. But yes, this is like an area that I'm super stoked about because it allows for you to uh, transition between pages and within pages, like having uh, certain things like pop open in different states. Um, it's been mm-hmm. renamed to viewport transitions recently. Like it in has. the working group. 
Yes. No way. Viewport transitions. Yeah, Ooh, I think I that there was a recent if... resolution to rename it. Um, okay, interesting. But yeah, it's one that it, I, I feel like we've been missing this kind of feature, and I've used third-party tools to get this functionality of like that smooth page transition. Um, sure. So I'm I'm excited. One of about Jake's it. blog posts on it was this kind of like, oh, I'm going to make a, a video, a YouTube, you know, like a YouTube like <laughs> thing. Yeah, thumb, thumb, th- lots of thumbnails of videos. You click the thumbnail of a video, and you can imagine how you would, for example, write this in Next.js or whatever. It, you, you've got single page app like transitions on, and the thumbnail goes whoop, and it turns into the video. So I felt that's what I thought shared element made sense. I mean, I'd have to read yep. the GitHub thread to see why it why it changed but i'm like okay that that changed an img tag to a video tag they're literally different elements and the transition still worked i think that's kind of like impressive to me that that kind of thing can happen uh and it, and it worked yeah. by giving it a css property which i was like whoa that's clever and just because that CSS property, which is something like page transition tag or something, it just because by virtue of it having the same tag, it knew to do that. And I was like, this is the coolest API I've ever seen. I wow. know. I love the declarative nature of it. <laughs> and how many times, I feel like uh, this is something that designers always want too, is like, oh, can we do a smooth transition from like this little card expanding to take out the rest of your page or uh, even yeah. between pages, like this layer, this element stays and the rest of the page will re-download. But it feels mm-hmm. like a lot more smooth. I saw an ING, they do web component stuff, ING blog um, post recently. And I can put it here in our little show notes, chats, and stuff like that. But one thing they called about. out too was um, it's helping with CLS, like cumulative layout shift. I can't say that word, but cumulative layout shift, where you like are kind of moving from one view to the next you're you're less like popping and you know herk jerk loading it just kind of like bloop like animates to like whatever phase two of your wizard or modal or whatever so um i just there's some good videos in here that kind of show how it was working before and after and um kind of different attempts but you know, they did it, and and I think they were like, you know, this is pretty good for like <laughs> nine lines of JavaScript, nine lines of CSS, and four lines of HTML, and we're able mm-hmm. to yeah, kind of right like, no library, no Ooh. library, just just whooping between views. So pretty cool. Remember, so. I remember like Val had talks and stuff. Probably Unit too, where the, the when when animation is talked about, one of the things that is said is like the point of this animation isn't to win an award, it's so people understand where something moved to and where yes. it went. So there's some like science behind why that that matters. Yeah, totally. That's like exciting. Like the way that I think that Val would talk about it is geo, like geometric space. Like in the real world, we physically open doors. We walk through space. We understand our surroundings by moving from one place to another, getting closer, seeing where things are shifting. On a website, when something just completely reloads, you lose your place. And it's that uh, confusion that gets added by not having things uh, continuous like continuity between interactions between pages that makes you feel like you're going through an experience and not just like popping from one place to another so there's there's a lot of real meaning and reason to do this i feel like like slamming into the 
glass sliding door is the perfect analogy. <laughs> like, unless you know it moved, then you know you can go through. But yeah. So those type of animations, I think of as another, you know, another longtime Cromer. I think it was Paul Lewis, right? He called them flip animations. Is when when you have the end state and you have the beginning state. It was, I think, at the time, it was designed to be like an efficient way to move the thing from one to the other. But it's almost become become to mean just tween like i know i know the states just morph one to the other and that's what a lot of libraries have come in to do and to me it's not about efficiency anymore it's about that's a nice style of animation that does the classic it accomplishes that classic thing of now i understand this thing moved over here because i saw it move over there it didn't just disappear and reappear in a new location so i love that this api then embraces that and it doesn't ask you to do like okay animate the xy coordinates from you know 1734 to 18291 you don't have to care about that you just say you just move it in css let it fall where it may and the browser will be like oh i see where i can i see where i was and i see where i'm going and i will move it between those two things tweening as it were it's just the best. So satisfying. I freaking love it. And you know what does that all the time? Mobile everything. Like every mobile app ever is just freaking chock full of this stuff. Yeah. I, I feel like it's really a missing feature of the web. Let's hope it rocks. I mean, it's 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 going to, but um, it looks, you know, because you can play with it now in a fly. It used to, you know, it, was, it was hard to have conversations like this. Even like five years ago, it'd be like, oh, really? This new theoretical thing? Now, by the time we even hear about them, there's a freaking browser implementation. It's amazing. Well, I, I think a big reason to do that is that we actually can make better decisions around the API. If you can play with it, get feedback on it. And there's a lot of discussion in the working group about view transitions. So it's good to have something to kind of base that conversation around. And the things are safer, right? Because it used to be like, oh, well, in order to do that, it has to be a feature. It has to be a, you know, a vendor prefix or something. And we made, that was such a horrible mistake for so long that yeah. now everything is flagged and is uh, just an obviously better Definitely approach. I put their name on it. <laughs> uh, can we do nesting? Nesting was a interesting one to me because there was a, on the, I think it was on web.dev or something. Um, was one of those like vote on which nesting you liked <laughs> and everybody was voting and talking about it and it was really fun and interesting to think about because it, it, you know everybody is like well just do it like SAS and there are some reasons why you can't do it like SAS so there are some kind of constellations had to be made about what the syntax for nesting would be. And yeah, it was. <laughs> I don't know what the results were, but all of them definitely had their fans. Uh, but then more recently, there's been a new conversation that was like, actually, how about this other different way? Yeah, it's been a journey. <laughs> so, so nesting has been an API that's been like a, a top developer request for a long time because it's so popular from SAS. And right. the reason why we can't do one to one in CSS is because as the CSS parser is reading the code. And it's looking at, you know, you have an element and then within that you might have like your curly brace and then, then you want to nest. So yeah. the browser needs to differentiate between if this is something like a class or some additional um, element or if it's a property to do like a property value pair for its parent. So that's yeah. why there was this challenge where the main thing is you can't have like a 
an element without any kind of syntax. And when I, when I say syntax, I mean like a dot to signify a class or a colon to signify a state or um, like a greater than sign to signify like first element within. Like that is not just a, a letter. That's when the parser doesn't know, is this nested or is this a property value pair that I'm about to start reading? So that's where all the syntax proposals have started like to, to come from. There was like the ampersand, there was um, the at nest syntax. And yeah, it, it came down to a resolution where... The double? <laughs> that was funny. The double one? Did you see the double curlies? That was cool. Now there's one that's like a trailing new set of curlies that... I don't know. There's been so many thoughts in this. Naming things is hard. The syntax is the hardest thing. Um, right. So, yeah, there was a resolution. It seems close, though. I mean, there's a lot of... Oh, there was a resolution. So, yeah, there was the, that survey. There was a resolution. And then um, we started prototyping based on the resolution. And then after that, it was like, oh, wait, we actually don't know if that's the right way to go. Let's think about this a little bit more. So now it's sort of been brought back up for conversation in the working group. Um, but I think we are very close to resolving and then landing this feature. Nice. Ooh. Yeah. Not that anybody asked me, but I, the, my least favorite one is the one where like, it, as long as the first one is like this, the rest of them can be like SAS or whatever. I was like, Ooh, I don't know if I like the one that like that, but that's just me. I, I'm, there's, there's pluses and minuses to all of them. I, I think I know what tweet you're talking about. Yeah. And the idea there is it lets you, you can use the ampersand always if you want to, which was the initial current syntax. Um, but with that one, you can optionally remove it if you have a class or if you have something that has any kind of syntax. So like hover state. Uh, but if you have just an element, you have to have the ampersand in front of it. Hmm. And there's like a little bit of confusion with like the trailing ampersand. So you have to have is or some other wrapper, like is or where to oh. To let the trailing ampersand work. Like that was kind of like the edge case. But I feel like it's a bit of an edge case to have a trailing ampersand these days. I feel like I just did it this week. So I'm oh, yeah. I'm I'm uh, I'm uh, I'm biased by its by its thing. Well, it's because the the number one time I use it is the like <clears throat> all right. So you have like dot dot thing with the curlies. Mm -hmm. And then inside it, I'm like, what about conditionals? So I might have a data attribute on a parent of it, which I guess I now I'm talking myself out of this because has exists now. I should have just used has. But normally... Has is so good. <laughs> but I'd be inside of my dot thing, I'd be like, data has, you know, or is cool or something, and then put an ampersand at the end of it, meaning that conditionally I'm styling thing when a parent has a thing, and I'd use the trailing ampersand to do it. So it, it didn't feel particularly, I don't know, weird or rare to me. I was like, yeah. Trailing ampersand, classic usage. But I'm in SAS, so I get it. I used to use it in SAS too. Yeah. But I I do think that has replaces most, if not all, of those situations. You're right. I think has replaces it. Yeah. Damn it. I should have thought of that. What is what's the support on has? But no Firefox though, right? It's uh, behind a flag in Firefox, and it's in Chromium and Safari. Hopefully, we get it oh, soon. If it's flagged that's in like... Firefox. We're ready to go. It's a really powerful feature. That's beefy. Yeah, it's flagged in Firefox. Oh my God, we're so close. So close. Firefox, Firefox, you can do it. <laughs> go, go, I go. Was, I was going to use it the other day, but and but Trent uses Firefox, and I was just like, dang it, he'll complain. So I can't do it, but I was so close. I was so close. So close. Yeah. I'm hoping that we'll be able to use this feature soon. Um, it really does change the way that you can select things. 
There's a really good article from Jay about this, and it talks about how to use it not just as a parent selector, but you can select anything on the page basically by using has. Yeah, was it um, y'all that were calling it the family selector or something like yeah, that? Yeah, the family selector. That's the name of the the article. Uh, oh, it's just such a good API. You can do a lot of things like like focus within things. You could do. Um, I liked his example of checking for Aria state, and then you could like shift a page. And using like translate to shift a whole page. Um, oh, it's such a good API. I highly recommend y'all check it out. I use it all the time now in prototypes where I can. It absolutely blows my mind that that's available to us. You what can do the quantity hell? queries with it. Like, you could do so much with it. I remember writing an article for CSS Tricks a while ago where I was like, oh, here's how to do quantity queries and different ways to use them in your UI. Now all that's been replaced by like a line of code with Dave's hash. got an article about quantity queries. You just did it. The dangler syndrome, he called it, right? Where you, yeah. We're like, you know, if you're doing a grid and you have like three items and it goes to like a medium mobile view and you have just one little orphan dangling, it looks bad, you know? just look, Yeah. So like... What's cooler is if you make the first one big, you know, and so, um, but to do that for every... I like how you made the first one big, because my instinct would be like, oh, take the dangler and fix the dangler. Yeah, that's what I would do. But Dave's like, no, I'm going to fix the first one, which pushes the dangler. No, if you put the first one in the list, like, it's the most important, right? Like, so make that the biggest one. So like, Yeah, it just was a nice touch. Good job. The CSS to write that... For like every odd variation, every, you know, they just, that it, it wasn't fun. It wasn't cool. It wasn't interesting, you know? So, um, I, I, so I, I know on client projects, you know, you have like the three features in the middle of the page, you know, like, oh, what we're awesome at one, two, and three. And, uh, they have icons and stuff. I just, I know what's cool there, but I just never did it because I was just like, I'm not going to do that. And then you add mixing container queries to where like you just don't even you tell the Uh-oh, component Dave how to resize it. itself. Drink. So yeah, sorry. Dave said I'll container queries. My- I almost put it at the bottom of the list on purpose because I was like, oh, everybody's talking about container queries, but that's because they're amazing. This podcast is brought to you by Split, the feature management and experimentation platform. What if a release was exactly as how it sounds? A moment of relief. An escape from slow, painful deployments that hold back product engineers. Free your teams and your features with Split. By attaching insightful data to feature flags, Split helps you quickly deploy, measure, and learn the impact of every feature you release, which means you can turn up what works and turn off what doesn't and give software innovation the room to run wild. Now you can safely deliver features up to 50 times faster and exhale. Split feature management and experimentation. What a release. Reimagine software delivery. Start your free trial and create your first feature flag at split.io slash shop talk. You mix these things together now and CSS is totally different. I, I like back to that education yeah. thing. I don't. I don't know how you even teach CSS now. It is so different, and I have all this old brain cruft. I, I like. Where do you start? You know, like what? Like what? What is good CSS, or what's the minimum viable CSS that you need to know right now? Well, I don't know. The box model is still there. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I still think there's a, a core set of features there, but what I've also been thinking about is how do we help people who know CSS 
learn the new things? Like what is the step between things that are experimental and things that are like CSS3 and how do we help people like learn what what's new and the capabilities that are new? And a way that I've been sort of framing it is this new entry point to responsive design, this concept of like the new responsive where there there was a whole round of responsive design that emerged from new devices. So, you know, mobile and desktop and, oh, now we have to design for different screen sizes. I feel like now we're entering this new modality where we have user inputs to think about, theming. Like you can let the user be a part of your design process. Like, a, you know, prefers contrast, like all of those things. So it's sort of like being responsive to the user and their needs, being responsive to the actual page itself with container queries and logical components that leverage has and statefulness and uh, container querying. Um, and there's all of these things that kind of fall into those buckets of thinking about responsive design in a new way, in a, in a more constructive, specific way. And then being responsive to different device types. So we're now seeing even more device types that I think we're just starting to see. So I think that that's less clearly defined. But yeah, uh, yeah, I feel like we're at this precipice of a new generation of responsive design almost. Yeah, yeah. The foldables. I can't, I still, I had the most vivid dream of my life where I had a foldable phone and I was just so sure it was going to be the future. I still think about that sometimes. Yeah. They exist though. Isn't that what the Microsoft phone is or whatever? I don't even I was thinking about the other day because I'm like, does does it run Android or do they still does does Microsoft still run a? It's Android. It is. Oh, nice. So they did give up on having a, a mobile operating system. Yes, they were going to have a tablet that did it too, but they, I, they never came out. So I don't know what the story on that was. Surface but, Duo. Mm-hmm. And the big one was the Surface Neo. There's this uh, Galaxy Fold. Oh, there's a Gal. Is that Samsung's thing? So Galaxy Fold, yeah, it's it's a it's like a Motorola razor. It folds up big, like like from a little square into a long, tall phone. Mm. Oh, I hate to admit, I kind of love yeah, that. Yeah, there's two. There's the Galaxy Flip that does that. The square oh, to the, the tall. Flip. And the fold yeah. goes from like what you kind of think is a normal like a book mobile. Yeah. yeah, like a book. But that doesn't have the seam in the middle. So the seam is kind of the other weird thing but that's what microsoft did right i remember when they were talking about this at first they're like oh let's do let's get the css in place first then we'll release the phone almost because it had it wasn't that didn't it use at page or something there was some way to to know where the fold was yeah there's environment variables yeah fancy speaking of environment wasn't it or microsoft or somebody you know how like when you install pwa you know there's now css properties right that you can like kind of like tuck your like search bar or whatever up into the menu bar like that you can like mm-hmm. take over the little i guess toolbar area of your application so um there's hey, that's kind of oh, back this to you stuff know, is so complicated thing about like <laughs> the stuff you can do now you can just contextualize or respond to that situation a lot easier, a lot easier. And the other thing about this like new responsive entry point is it works a lot more closely with the way that we build architecture today, like component-based websites where you have individual components that can now own their own responsive logic and be resilient and be adaptable to whatever situation you put them in. So if they're in a sidebar or they're in a main area or if they have some kind of uh, class or custom property value attached to them, or if even they have stateful children, like there's, it just goes so deep and it just, ugh, I get so excited about it every time I talk about how, 
how logical we can now write styles. Um, I don't know. I'm just. <laughs> Are you waiting for it? Like, what's who's going to be the first semi to very popular component library that's just a hundred percent container queries? Like, I haven't seen it yet. You know, container queries exist, but yeah. Like, I don't know. I think right now we're missing some browser support. So yeah. I think that's the main blocker. We're two months away, though, I hear. Uh, <laughs> two months. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. Break two months. Is that what you hear? Um, <laughs> we'll see. But that would be rad because, again, it's just it's just Firefox. But if anybody on Earth knows what people are asking for, you know, it's them and they know. They know. They know. Yeah. I don't know who knows, but they know. So that's pretty rad. You, uh, we 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 did you know we skipped over a little bit, but I feel like people are pretty well aware of what container queries are. I mean, you kind of explained it. It's you know styles that you can apply based on how large the container is. Eh? <laughs> there was some good last minute changes I thought that made them so nice. I like that the CSS property is container, so we call them container queries. And then the fact that the CSS property is container to like kick it off is so satisfying. And that the units are CQ, you know, the yeah, marketing I, I like we all call change. them container queries. Yeah, CQ but, baby. Uh, if you do use the container, it's a shorthand that requires you to name the container. So if you don't give it a name, you got to use container oh, type. Container type. If you want it unnamed, which right, right. But it's a good practice to name them, just for consistency. It feels like it. Yeah, I haven't used it enough to know. Yeah, let's name them because you don't. If you name them, you don't have to call it by name if you don't want to. Right? It just you could call it by name. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's optional, but it is useful. Yeah. So, like one example is I I had this demo where I had a responsive button that was a container query, and it went from like just an icon to an icon with more details to an icon with plus to an icon with some text, like add to cart. Cool, it yeah. Was, um, and then I put that inside of another container that was a product card. And sometimes I want it to respond to itself to its own container size, so like how wide the space was available uh -huh. for the card. But other times I wanted to respond to the parent's container size to position the layout, whether it was centered or left aligned. And so having a container wow. name was important. It allowed you to skip a container on the way up. Yeah, it, it allowed whatever. me to specify which container I'm actually looking at to apply the styles. Oh, that's so cool. Wow. Right? Yeah. And you can only do that if you name your containers, kids. Yeah, fun times. Fun times in CSS land. <laughs> Creepy. Hey, CSS, you're, you're pretty cool <laughs> now, dude. Come to the CSS side, everyone. Yeah, you're not going to get bullied by JavaScript people anymore. Yeah, CSS is cool now, guys. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like JavaScript people are some of the most excited for these things because they can write less scripts, or they should be. Oh, at least. Like, it, it's amazing. You know, somebody had pointed out, I realized we got a hard stop here, but somebody had pointed out, um, you know, some of these tools, too. I, I think it's Miriam, maybe, but... Some of these tools, like uh, you know, CSS and JS, has had a, a tough time recently. We won't go over that, but but they are not really equipped to kind of support some of these new syntaxes, right? Or you got to like wait for them to figure out how to deal with it. Is that something y'all consider or think about, or do you think like somebody will just figure out how to do it, or you know, like nesting, for example? I'm sure. Styled components is just going to eat it when it tries to get into nesting. So how does that work? I don't know. Is that something y'all think about? Well, we've sort of, with the nesting spec, there are tools that use the current nesting spec as like a plugin already. I forget, oh, okay. what, I forget which ones they are, but yeah. Or like auto prefixer kind of or something. But. Yeah. So I, I think that there is like a, a path 
for upgrading. But what I would like to do more of, at least, is work with these tools like abstractions that developers use to build websites and kind of help them get up to speed with some of the modern CSS so that other people can leverage that because it's how they're building. Um, so I think that there's work to be done and kind of like in the same vein of wanting to reach more developers who focus on JavaScript and don't necessarily keep up to date with the latest changes in CSS. Those are the people that probably benefit the most from learning about these things and utilizing these things in their day job. So how do we reach them if they're not already looking for that kind of information? Yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's been a hot year for CSS, but even just, you know, if you last time you paid attention to CSS was a decade ago when responsive came out, it's been huge. Like it's massive changes. Sorry, Chris, you had a curveball. I know, but it's too late. You're going to have to come back because it's not going to fit into our hard stop no, it's edition. Okay. We'll make it work. I'll talk we'll make it work. <laughs> this is a really it's just a really quick one because I, I was I was thinking about focus styles again and how there's this thing called focus visible. This isn't quite as new as some of the other stuff, but it's still pretty new, I think. And it to me it's like the big thing that solves this idea that you really need to have focus styles, but we're all we all got sick of the idea that everything you freaking click on your website got the focus style. I mean, and by click, I mean literally click with your mouse on a desktop, and and thus we would it birth this long generation of clicking on stuff or, or having people remove focus styles because they just didn't like the look of of the yes. desktop approach, which was so horrible. And so focus visible comes along and and I think rather solves that nicely. Are we at the point where we can just only use focus visible only and not focus or is that dangerous like i was trying to wrap my mind around it and not sure i quite got there that was the curveball i well browser support wise it's available and it's been available in browsers for several versions you don't have to worry about browser support um accessibility wise i'm not sure because I'm not an expert in the accessibility space, and I feel like there's so many nuances for different modalities and ways to use the web platform that I I cannot answer that if it is safe. No, that's or not. fine. Yeah, I I, uh, I was just thinking about it and writing some stuff up, and kind of ended up with like, you know what? I don't trust myself either. Like, I don't. I I definitely wouldn't be, feel comfortable being the guy that tweets, "Don't use focus anymore. Only use focus visible." That's uh, doesn't doesn't have the right uh, research and expertise behind it to know. But I that. hope that somebody does that research. That is an expert in the space and yeah because we're close but it turned out that while i was looking at that i think an easier way to do it is you can use at supports and then the selector function and then colon focus visible and the support for that is really really good it's better than focus visible is so you can then within that put regular focus styles and be safe what it means though is you have to repeat the css that you used for focus visible in another spot which, which meant, while well, I was thinking about it, I'm like, oh, native browser mix-ins. That's what y'all should do next year. Mix-ins, mix-ins. You know, like this is a chunk of CSS that I... It's definitely on the list of things that people have asked for. That's for a pretty sure. good use case I just ran across. So focus visible. It's pretty cool. Check it out. Um, all right. <laughs> what else you got? Anything you want to sneak in? Yeah, is there any uh, special uh, sneak peeks at... Browser feature drops. <laughs> There's been a lot of stuff. Um, I feel like if I was to tell someone to learn about stuff that landed this year, container queries is a big one because that's 
really game-changing, not fully supported in browsers yet, but it's going to change the way that you write responsive code. Um, has is another one. Definitely check out the article by Jay. Um, other stuff that we didn't even talk about was open UI work, like pop-up, anchor positioning. That stuff oh is really game-changing as well. Like I feel like we, I could do a whole episode on on those two with Dave <laughs> Select Menu. Yeah, I could cry a bit uh, on some of this stuff, but uh, but the um, like uh, is Select Menu close? Like like I saw Jay posted an article, and so I, it made me think like. Whoa, is this closer than I think? That's or the one that's still... just like, a, it's identical to select. It's just that you can actually style it. Yeah, arbitrary content is a big one there. Um, I think pop-up and anchor are sort of required for select menu because they're, it's, <laughs> Jay calls it like the trifecta where you need to be able to like set a pop-up. A lot of the, the select menu-like uh, experiences can be built with a pop-up and you might need to even do that to make things more semantic if you had something like a double select menu. Like say you have a select menu with a drop down and arrow that has another menu sort of situation. Like that would be better as a pop-up right now because we don't have the ability to do that with the way that select menu is defined as just option-based. Or, or even just a hamburger menu would be better as like a pop-up. I think that was an yeah, example, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, so yeah. I think what's closer is finalizing pop-up, making sure that is accessible and like everything is built in correctly to the AT. Um, has the right controls and then anchoring, which is pretty critical for these APIs and select menu. If I was to guess. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Um, uh, yeah, no, it's exciting. I, the progress that, uh, you know, I know people over on Chrome and, and some edge folk as well have been really putting into pop-up has been amazing. So oh, it, um, would, it would be so good to have. Oh, it would solve, it's another problem solver. It's just like those two are are clutch. How many times are you like, or you write you're writing a component and you're like, well, I guess I better make like five props. You know, one is like a line a line left and a line top, and you know, like every situation you, where you and, might want to put JavaScript something, and then logic. you hard code it. Yeah, yeah, right. Whereas, yeah, I, we don't have time to get into the, the API. Future of the web yeah, is anyway. bright. TLDR. That's good. Very bright. That's good. Way to end it, Yuna. For those who aren't following you and giving you money, how can they do that? Well, they don't have to give me money, but if they want to follow along with all the stuff, uh, you could follow me on Twitter at Yuna. That's at U-N-A. My website is Yuna.im in case the Twitterverse shuts down and I don't have to know how to contact anyone. Um, Totally possible. Also follow (laughs) Chromium Dev on Twitter. You could follow our YouTube too, um, Chrome Developers. And web.dev and developer.chrome.com are where we write stuff. So you can learn all about the stuff coming down the pipeline and stuff that's recently landed and browser support and best practices and patterns and all that good stuff for the, the awesome. new world of CSS land. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> I love it. Hey, thank you very much uh, for coming on the show. Best episode ever. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This is great. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, dear listener, for downloading this. In your podcast, your choice, be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Twitter or wherever it exists, whatever Whatever exists tomorrow. Whatever exists. Uh, <laughs> and join us on the Discord. That's still going. Patreon.com slash Shop Talk Show. Chris, anything else you'd like to say? Ooh, just ShopTalkShow.com. 